Binge the full week of The Ray Taylor Show ad-free over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. This is The Ray Taylor Show. Welcome to The Ray Taylor Show, where I bring you reviews of the latest movies and TV shows, as well as classic and foreign films. I'm your host, Ray Taylor, and on this podcast, I'll be talking about all things film and television. Whether you're looking for a new show to binge or want to know if that blockbuster is worth the trip to the theater or just want to hear my thoughts on a classic or foreign film, I've got you covered. So join me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes and let's dive into the world of film and television together. On today's episode, I am talking about the foreign film Fanny and Alexander, Specifically, the theatrical version. This came out in 1982, written and directed by Igmar Bergman, starring a host of talented actors, which Igmar Bergman worked with many of them for many times in many movies and many projects. I believe this was his final film, which actually I think was a miniseries to begin with, but was re-edited and released internationally uh, theatrically, uh, which is the version that I saw. Both versions are available right now on the Criterion channel, which is where I watched it. Uh, a movie that I had heard about uh, in regards to people talking about uh, art house Christmas movies. Uh, so this one was one of those films. And I would say, I mean, this movie starts on Christmas, uh, but it is a long tale of following these two young Swedish kids. Uh, which the movie is about two young Swedish children in the early 1900s experience the many comedies and tragedies of their lively and affectionate theatrical family, uh, the Ekdals. Uh, I thought this was an amazing film. Uh, it is very long, the theatrical version. It's over three hours long. Uh, the miniseries is, I think, a four-part miniseries over five hours long. Um, but it definitely made me want to watch the miniseries, the unedited version, just because it is such a big story following, it's mostly following Alexander. Fanny is his sister, uh, but it's following these two kids and their life living in different places due to certain circumstances and it is a journey that you go on with these kids. And I would love to see the more detailed journey of, of these kids. Um, you know, it starts on Christmas, uh, but spans a much larger amount of time. Not sure exactly how long, but I would imagine it's years. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, all this could have, yeah, probably a few years. Um but it's obviously a classic for a good reason. It's on the Criterion channel for a good reason. Uh, and the opening, starting in Christmas, is aesthetically probably one of the most beautiful. Like, it, it, is, it is what I think of, like, the kind of perfect Chris, Chris, Christmas atmosphere where it's like everything is lit by fire in some ways, candles, their house that they live in is just all wood and tapestries and artwork and sculptures and paintings and candles in every room, like so many candles in every scene. 
the Christmas trees is back when you put candles on Christmas trees, which I can't imagine how many homes burnt down because of candles and Christmas trees. But, you know, even the streets lit with like lanterns and these gas, you know, gas lamps and torches and snow on the ground and horses pulling sleighs through the snow in the city, you know, like just kind of a the the beautiful absolutely gorgeous aesthetic of the beginning of this film the christmas aspect of this film but the entire film is absolutely gorgeous it's an absolute work of art and this film which is often regarded as one of bergman's masterpieces originally was conceived as a four-part miniseries for swedish television but a theatrical version was also created for international release. The theatrical cut is a condensed version of the original miniseries, trimming down the content to make it suitable for a cinema audience. I would imagine the majority of that is runtime, although I won't know until I watch the other version, which maybe next year I'll watch for Christmas. I'll watch the extended miniseries and review that. But in this movie, Fanny and Alexander is set in the early 20th century and follows the lives of two siblings, Fanny and Alexander Ekdal, who belong to a wealthy theater family in uh, Uppsala, Sweden. The story begins with a lavish Christmas celebration at the Ekdal's family home, showcasing their joyous and artistic lifestyle. Tragedy strikes when the child, the children's father, Oscar, suddenly dies. Their mother, Emily, eventually remarries the austere and strict Bishop uh, Edvard uh, Vergers. The children's new life with the bishop is a stark con is in stark contrast to their previous joyful and liberal upbringing. The bishop's oppressive and rigid household becomes a place of torment for Alexander, whose vivid imagination and rebellious nature clash with the bishop's authoritarian rule. The film delves into themes of family, childhood, religion, and the conflict between fantasy and reality. Alexander's experience and his rich imagination are central to the narrative as he navigates the challenges and cruelties of his new life. The visual style and cinematography in this is amazing. The film is noted for its rich and detailed production design and exquisite cinematography, which create a visually stunning portrayal of the early 20th century Sweden. Uh, great narrative depth in this film. Bergman's script is layered and complex, weaving together themes of family dynamics, spirituality, and the resilience of human of the human spirit. Uh, great performances from the young leads of this. Uh, Jean uh, Malmojo as the bishop, uh, who is a, a despicable character. Uh, but all performances of those are widely praised. Uh, this movie also got great critical acclaim. Fanny and Alexander received widespread critical acclaim. Uh, it won four Academy Awards, including Best Foreign Language Film, and is often cited as one of the greatest films ever made. The theatrical version of Fanny and Alexander, while shorter than the original television miniseries, retains the essence and depth of Bergman's vision, offering a rich and emotionally resonant cinematic experience. It is an absolutely beautiful film, a well-told story with depth 
rich characters. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, it is an interesting comparison and exploration of imagination and fictional works and how certain fictional works can be used for uh, as a source of freedom and other fictional works can be used as a source of oppression. And uh, I, I enjoy what the themes and the, the elements that this film uh, examines and tackles. Uh, but I do want to talk about spoiler-specific moments from the theatrical version of this film uh, and uh, my thoughts on them. So from this point out, if you haven't seen Fanny and Alexander, I highly recommend it. It is a masterpiece. Um, and I really, if you have seen the miniseries, let me know uh, which of the two you prefer. I tried to do some research to see which one I should watch. If I should invest the time in just watching the complete miniseries. I mean, as I watch just seasons of TV shows anyway, I could have uh, watched it uh, in chunks or whatever, but um, decided not to. Uh, but now I, I really want to see the, the full version of it because I, I feel like there's definitely, even though it was a three-plus-hour movie, uh, it, there's definitely aspects that I could see being fleshed out even more uh, just an epic film that I, I really did enjoy but I do want to talk about spoilers so if you haven't seen it you don't want to be spoiled on specifics of the movie uh, here's your warning like I said the opening of this the celebration this massive home it's like almost a castle right you have lanterns lighting the snow covered streets so many candles inside this house right candles on the tree Everything is wood. It's warm. It's cozy. It's comforting. This place that they live uh, it starts in 1907. So, you know, like long time ago, long, like the world was different. Not that long. I mean, kind of a long time ago, but in the course of human history, like to think of streets being unpaved, being taken down snowy streets in carriages that have skis on them driven by horses uh, and roads lit by fire to be living in a time where I can record, you know, effortlessly produce uh, shows that go out to the entire world via ones and zeros. We live in a very different time. Um, the family in this, a uh, bunch of horny people. A bunch of horny people, this family. I mean, I like it, it's so interesting to see you get to know this family. And then there's the big shift when they go live with the bishop, the massive contrast that there is from the original family to the bishop. And of course, one of the big aspects is expressing sexual desire, which is something you're not allowed to do in most religions if not all religions, right? That is something to be looked down upon. But in this family that is this art family, this theatrical family, everybody's just super horny, which is kind of hilarious, right? And adultery and having like a side piece is common and accepted in many ways. Like wives are super understanding and in some cases thankful that their husband found some mistress 
to have sex with so they they don't have to deal with it all the time right it's it's such a weird dynamic such a uh, a different dynamic than you see in most society today but very interesting um and like of course it's like this huge family they have a lot of money they put on plays uh they have help like but everybody's like family like the kids like the the maids and and the the people that work in the house they're like part of the family in in many ways and take part in this celebration where people are like dancing hand in hand singing christmas songs dancing through the house people getting drunk it is just like just so much love and joy and happiness and warmth and comfort in this home this massive home right kind of an interesting way to start this film um and of course, seeing everything, everybody being pulled through the town on in sleighs. Um, let's take a short break from this episode. Listeners, let me paint you a picture. Imagine owning a piece of art that's not only visually striking, but also exclusive. Dive deep into The Many Faces, a series that's now available as high-quality, limited-edition prints. Each piece captures the essence of abstract and surreal beauty, making it a perfect conversation starter for your space. What makes these prints even more special? They're all hand-signed and numbered by the artist, me, adding that personal touch of authenticity. And the best part, you don't need to break the bank to own one. Starting at just $5 for a 4 by 6 inch size piece. And the prices scale up from there, as well as the sizes. Giving you options to suit your space and your budget. Art collectors, enthusiasts, or anyone who loves a unique piece, this is your chance. Elevate your space, elevate your walls, and own a piece of limited edition artistry. Head over to InspiredDisorder.com and secure your exclusive print today. Now let's get back to the show. Eventually, like in, there's a scene where you see Alexander kind of zoning out, looking at a statue. And you see the statue kind of come to life. And that's the kind of first introduction we get that this kid likes to imagine, daydream, and sees things which he sees other things throughout the, the movie. And then his dad dies. He's an actor, and during after a performance or whatever, after a rehearsal, he dies. And during the funeral, as he's walking, they're doing this long funeral procession. Um, you see him just saying all of the bad words. And his, you see Fanny, like, hearing him and, and smiling. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a sweet little moment. Um, and then, of course, he also sees his dead father uh, many times. But the first is seeing him play the piano that is kind of outside of their the sleeping quarters for the kids. Um, and then you have the the mom, like, having before she tells the kids that she's decided to marry this bishop, he has the bishop talk to alexander because he's been telling stories he's been telling lies in school right 
And the way the bishop talks to Alexander is so infuriating. It, like, boils my blood because I know so many people that that speak to other people the way that this bishop speaks to this child, speaks to Alexander, right? The way he grabs him, like, putting his hands on his shoulder um, and, like, jostling him, like, just showing him how kind of that he has like this physical control over this kid poking his head when he makes a point like just things that if somebody did that to me I'd be like get your hands off of me like I will I will put my hands on you if you think it's just okay to be poking my head because you make a point or to be grabbing me like I they're like t- like grabbing my neck behind my head grabbing my shoulders don't touch me, bro. Right. And uh, his lie was that he was going to be sold to the circus and that he was like he very elaborate tales that Alexander, which is like Alexander's a great storyteller. Like there are so many details and there's other moments in this movie where you hear Alexander telling stories and they are so detailed and he is so like the way he tells stories is like at such a high level it is beautiful it is it should be looked at as a thing of beauty instead of something that should be looked down upon and punished because if somebody's going to come up with lies that are so that creative and and in-depth and clearly ridiculous should be they should be encouraging him to write and of course he apologizes and then his mom tells him that she's going to marry this bishop guy because she's like you need a male role model and it's just the whole time I'm like this would be my hell this would be my hell like we have all this support from this family we're li- we're living at home we live in a mansion with our grandparents and our uncles and aunts and all these people that live here we are a community of of a family we have all of the support there's no need to go look for a, a spouse just because you think that it's the right thing to do blood boiling and then of course the first thing the bishop does like tells them all to get on their knees and pray to god for their little family i'm like oh my god this is like just everything about what happens in this moment is just like my blood is boiling i'm like this is so disgusting this is like everything i hate about organized religions especially leaders of organized religions and of course there are people that are are great people that are priests and pastors and all that stuff but there's also historically the most evil people have been in those positions as well and does not in any case make up for a few good apples to the history of violence and torture and rape and murder and just evil that has been done in the name of quote-unquote god so when he tells them to get on their knees i'm just like oh this is not going to be good and of course they move into the bishop's palace which if you want to talk about the most contrasting living environments he has they call it the bishop's palace it's also a large place 
but it is stone. It is blank. It is cold. It is lifeless. It is dead in this home. The painting, like every once in a while, there's crosses all over the place. Because, of course, you have to have crosses everywhere. You have to, you have to be reminded about the, the torture that uh, the Son of God uh, received to forgive you. Your, the, the most ridiculous aspect, one of the most ridiculous aspects of that religion. So you got to have the reminder of how the the father uh, allowed the, his own son and himself to be tortured and killed, um, and then if there are paintings, they are like the darkest, like just there. It's just nothing about this place is welcoming. Nothing about this place is feels like home. It feels just like it feels lifeless in this place. And you have even the the family that lives there. They're all dressed in black, the sister and the mom. All of the help, which they all f- look like they are abused, tortured people. They, they all look like they're on the verge of death. Like every aspect of the bishop's palace looks like all life has been sucked out of it. Right? The absolute, complete opposite energy from the house, from the home these kids came from that it was full of life and happiness and warmth, right? Cozy, filled with candles and artwork and tapestries and statues and love, wood, like actual natural things that were have life to them that feel comforting and then to be surrounded now by stone, just emptiness, this minimalist, which I'm all about minimalist stuff. I like, don't get me wrong, but as far as tone-wise, the visuals of going from the home they were in to now this hell that they are going to be living, it is, it's like going from a home to a prison, which this is what it ends up becoming for them. And on top of that, on top of the fact that they are moving into a place that has zero life, he also, this bishop, also forbids them from bringing anything from their previous life. They should be, quote-unquote, reborn into this new life, right? No bringing toys, books, clothes. No bringing past friendships. Your family is gone. Everything is gone. This is your new life. It's it just so, it is just layers upon layers of absolute disgusting hell nothing you can't bring sorry kids all your clothes your toys we all have to act like we are refugees and we are being brought into this bishop's prison to reside and be controlled by him so they go from this warm home of creativity and art to a cold and dead home of repression and suppression. And of course, Alexander keeps seeing his dad. And like at their first meal, the sister of the bishop lays down all these strict rules of the household. 
Like you have to live this exact way. Not only did you give up everything from your former life, but you can no longer live your new life in any other way other than what we are laying out. These are exactly how you must live in this home. And Alexander, some more strong pats on his back, right, and on his neck, right, as the bishop sees this book that he's reading that he brought, and he brought a stuffed bear also. So he like he's already, like, disobeying him, right? And this is not what the bishop wants. This bishop wants obedience because that's what religion is all about. Religion is all about control. It is all about 100% control, and if you do not follow the rules, then you will be punished with hell and many times, especially back then, the church will literally punish you on earth while you're living. So you're seeing like these little things that Alexander is like not afraid to disobey him by bringing a small book, by bringing a stuffed bear. Like these just give, let him have some aspects of his humanity. And when the bishop sees it, gives him like hard pats on the back, right? Like not like a loving, caring pat on the back, like welcome, welcome. Thank you for coming into my home. Thank you for being here and doing these. Thank you for giving up your life. It is okay, kid. I see you. I see you. We'll see how this goes. It's, it is like he is he, just being as physically abusive as he can without being physically abusive yet. Right? Just And I know so many fucking assholes that are like that. That are like anytime they don't get their way or they're being challenged, they will they, – it's that level of aggression where it's like, kind of jovial but it's clearly like they're putting more oomph into it and they find out there's a dollhouse in their bedroom and the girl asks where it came from and they find out that there were two girls and their mom that used to live there but they died in the river that's next to the house <laughs> so and of course immediately i was like i bet i bet two one of two things happened either they tried to escape this hell this prison and in the escape, they drown in the river. Or they were accused of being witches and they passed the test, which means that they were drowned in the river, which is how, you know, religious people used to uh, test if you're a witch. They would put you under the water. And if you drowned, that meant you weren't a witch. But thankfully, thank God you weren't a witch, even though you're dead now. Um, and if you somehow survived, then that proves that you're a witch. But of course, nobody ever survived. So uh, they, they loved proving uh, that people weren't witches by killing so many men, women, children, all kinds of – whoever they thought. that Whatever you did or acted like that was slightly different than anything that they wanted. If you had like a little eye twitch, oh, you're a witch. It, you, you disagree with me. Oh, you're a witch. Let's go, let's go test you out in the river. But it wasn't the witch thing. It was uh, the escape thing. And they find out, like Alexander points out to his sister, that the windows are barred, so they can't even open their windows. So it's they're literally in a prison, and it's and it's like that. It's, it's cold. It's empty. 
There's nothing for them. They're not allowed to bring their possessions. Right? They're strict way you eat. Strict way you you live your life. It is prison life. Literally prison life for these kids. And they're locked in their room. They're fed dinner in their room like prisoners. And one of the, the maids sneaks cookies in for them. And Alex, Alexander, who's a... A, you know a smooth smooth uh character he like offers it to the maid to get information about what happened and what's going on right so sh- the maid tells him that the mom the kids escaped and the mom then the kids got sucked into the river the mom dove in to save them and then everything changed after those deaths. Like, that's when, because that's what you do. Very similar movie I reviewed uh, recently, or not reviewed, but uh, was part of a top five, Virgin Suicides. Very religious family. One of the daughters in the family, one of the girls in the family commits suicide. So what do they do? What does this religious family do? What does the bishop do? They clamp everything down. They tighten their grip. They give people less freedoms. And what is that? What is that? Just makes things even worse. But that's when everything changed at at the the bishop's place. Um, And the maid tells about this time her hand, like weird things that have happened. Like her palm was ripped off by, she grabbed a doorknob. And when she opened it, like it tore skin off of her hand. And she heard a laugh behind her, but nobody was there. So she thinks it was, a ghost so alexander takes that opportunity and says that oh he saw the ghost and which he does see his dad or at least imagine seeing his dad so then he goes into this story detailed story an example of how beautiful alexander is at telling a story he like a beautiful storyteller talking about how he saw the kids and the mom and going into detail of everything and it's just terrifying this this story that he's telling and the maid is like just absolutely enthralled um so super detailed story about them being held prisoner in the room for five days no food no water they were able to escape but ended up dying in the river just just tells it in such a compelling way Right. Absolutely. Everybody is absolutely captivated, which is just the, the maid and, and Fanny's sitting there listening to the story as well. So the maid goes and immediately rats on Alexander, immediately goes to the bishop and tells the bishop, you know, you asked me to keep an eye on and tell you what these kids are doing. Well, this is what Alexander he told me this story. So, of course, what does the bishop do? Let's punish. Right? He brings both kids up and he tells Alexander he's going to give him a choice of punishment. Right? You can be beaten with this rug duster, right? This cane that we use to slam against rugs to knock the dust out of it. You can be, you can drink castor oil, which will fuck you up. Or we'll lock you in this tiny little coal locker that has rats in it and we'll lock you in there for hours. It's like what, what these are this is what God wants me to do to you. And of course Alexander's like 
give beat me with the thing you know how many lashes is it gonna take okay so he takes it and then he refused to apologize so then he gets beaten again apologizes but he knows that he can't get to alexander like he's alex is standing up he's not afraid of him he's hurt but he's not afraid so of course the bishop can't just end it with beating a child he tells him to go tells the maid to go lock him up in the attic right just nothing there's give him a blanket and a pillow and he can sleep on the floor it is just, yeah after being beaten with a with a stick let's take a quick break from the show listeners are you ready to take your experience with the ray taylor show to the next level dive into inspired disorder plus for just five dollars a month you unlock a world of premium content that's sure to satisfy your every entertainment and artistic craving. Imagine enjoying the Ray Taylor Show a full week completely ad-free in both audio and video formats, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Get exclusive access to live painting archives. Be the first to lay your eyes on the new paintings from the many faces. And enjoy members-only discounts and deals that will have you coming back for more. With a treasure trove that includes a podcast back catalog, boasting 14 unique shows and over 600 episodes, personal insights through Ray Taylor's own blog, creative writing to spark your imagination, and an interactive Ask Me Anything section. Inspired Disorder Plus is a feast for the curious mind. Ready to elevate your entertainment game? Head on over to inspireddisorder.com plus and become a member of an exclusive club. Dive in, indulge, and inspire your senses. Now let's get back to the show. And all the while, like, their mom is gone. And they're like, when is she going back? They don't know when her mom's coming back. They've been locked in their room. Not allowed to go outside. And now he's locked up in there, and then, you know, daughter's locked up. Who knows what? Maybe in the extended version we see that he, because Fanny lied too. Fanny stuck with her brother. So who knows what the bishop did to her. But the meanwhile, what we see what the mom is, she goes to visit her mom, the grandma, who is now the, the, the leader of the family, and was then, I think. And we find out that the mom knows that the bishop is an evil person waiting for an opportunity to break Alexander. And that she wants to get a divorce, but he refuses to give her a divorce. And he tells her that if she leaves him, the law is on his side. He will say that she abandoned her kids. And if you do that, you lose everything. You don't you you don't get he will get the kids, which will mean he will get to spend the spend the life beating, just beating the kids, do one doing whatever evil things the bishop wants to do to the kids. She, she, she's stuck. Right. So she gets back home. She literally has to fight the sister to get the key to the attic. Like she, she's not there. Don't even want to allow her to see her own son that's up in the attic bleeding beaten so she gets the key goes up there and sees that he's been beaten and it's like she knew it was going to happen then there's this great moment where one of the old friends of the family 
I think, cruising, cruising like like a G through the city. It's no snow anymore. So the cart that's being pulled by these horses, it's on these giant cart wheels, right? Giant, giant wheels. And he's on this like fancy chair, like this throne that's facing backwards as they're just flying down the streets of this town. Amazing. Pulls up to the bishop's place and goes in and says he wants to buy this chest, right? There's this whole thing where they don't want to take money donations directly. The bishop's in need of money. But, you know, there's a thing. They don't want to take money from Jewish people because, of course, the bishop's uh, anti-Semitic. He's you know, likes to beat kids. He's anti-Semitic. He's one of the most evil humans, right? So they came up with this kind of roundabout way for him to give the bishop money by buying this chest. But the whole thing is a ruse to get the kids out of there, right? Have the kids sneak into the chest, buy the chest, take the chest out. Um, it, the only confusing moment, which maybe it's clarified more in the extended version, like the bishop knows, like, so he buys the, ch- the kids go into the chest, they cover them with a blanket and the old guy's like, look, I didn't put anything else in the chest. Look, it looks dark in there. Cause there's a black blanket over these kids that are laying in this chest. Like clearly you would have been able to see the ch- the kids, but the bishop doesn't really believe it. So he runs up to the kid's prison cell and laying on the ground are two dummy kids i guess i don't know if it's like like he knows that the kids are in the chest he knows that they're not actually because when he goes down he starts throwing out anti-semitic stuff beating this guy because he's jewish saying all the most hateful things that somebody could say to a jewish person right this bishop this man of the lord quote unquote but they end up taking, they're able to leave with the chest anyway. It's I, it's the situation of how they're able to get these kids out, a little confusing. Regardless, they get the kids out. And you see the mom who's been locked away, who looks just horrible. Like malnourished, sick, weak. But the plan somehow works. And they he takes them to this place, his cousin or his brother or whatever, who owns this, this shop that's massive part of it houses it houses all kinds of different things and part of it is this puppet theater so it's like back into a place of abundance but kind of different than the original home because it's just like one room's got like hundreds of chandeliers this one has like hundreds of these puppets these marionettes um and then this other room has these other things so it's definitely a place of abundance that they're going to and after having been in the bishop's place definitely feels more homely uh but it you know still kind of creepy but a very different kind of creepy right it's not like hell it's not like prison um it's just creepy because of a lot of different weird things and it's easy for them to get lost and they're just surrounded by so much stuff um alexander eventually meets uh email kind of uh, uh, one of the other people that that's there um and kind of shows him around takes him to this person that's locked in this 
behind bars, deep inside, behind many doors, and then locked behind bars. This person that almost feels like a vampire in some ways, but then also seemingly has powers that are almost similar to Alexander. Like if Alexander were to develop his imagination in ways he may get powers like this it is a moment of supernatural abilities this person has that relates to alexander and there's visions of the bishop's sister who's like diseased and was sick and the sister knocked a lantern over and set herself on fire um, and these visions of her like running out of her room that's just engulfed in flames and she's engulfed in flames. And it's this very like artistic, dramatic, supernatural moment. But we what we end up finding out after the kids go back, they finally go back to uh, their mother's house or their grandmother's house with their mother. They're back at home with their family and then the cops show up there's also a great moment when the the mom leaves she she doses the bishop's tea with sleeping pills um like extra doses of sleeping pills and he wakes up before they take effect and he's like what are you what are you doing she's like i i dosed you so you're gonna be sound asleep when i leave um and he's like i will ruin your life when i wake up you may be able to leave now, but when I wake up, I will ruin every aspect of your life, right? This guy who should just let these people live, but control is all he wants. He wants to he wants to control human life. He feels he he has deserved that as a bishop. But the best part is that we see when the cops show up that he died. And what he died from was this fire that actually did happen. And because he was dosed on the sleeping pills, when his sister, who was on fire, ran into his room, setting the, the bed on fire, laying on top of him, he was couldn't wake up, and he died. Like, he got severely burned, of course, obviously died. And the cops are like, well, you know, we understand that you gave him sleeping pills, but obviously you didn't know that his sister was going to be engulfed in flames and then go burn. So we can't blame you for his murder. And it's just a crazy coincidence. So it's like this crazy thing that happens where she's they're free. The bishop's dead. The bishop's dead. It's just it's just so great. And they're back home. It is like such a great moment. But then because Alexander sees ghosts, He's walking through the hallway and he gets pushed to the ground and he looks up and he sees the ghost of the bishop. So it's like, uh, so he's going to be tormented by the ghost of the bishop. It is just absolutely kind of it's like a great ending. But part of that, which I would imagine part of that is like dealing with the PTSD of living with this horrible person. Like the trauma that this kid has will live with now that is is manifesting in the form of this ghost. And it ends with him laying his head on his grandma's lap, who's reading a play because she'd realized both 
Fanny and Alexander's mom and the grandma are in charge. The mom is in charge of the theater, was uh, given the theater when her husband died or when her dad died. I forget who gave her the theater. Um, and then the the mom is the only, the oldest member of the family. So, so they're like in charge of the family now and they can do whatever they want. And the mom had like this idea for a play that she wants uh, to perform and wants the grandma to perform in the play. So the grandma's reading this play that her daughter thinks that she should be in. And Alexander comes in and lays on her lap. And that's where we get the last lines of this movie that I think are perfect for this movie. Um, the last lines are she, that she's reading from this play. So they're part of this play. Everything can happen. Everything is possible and probable. Time and space do not exist. On a flimsy framework of reality, the imagination spins, weaving new patterns. And in so many ways, it is the existence that we are all living, the imaginations we all have, the uses of imagination... Right. You have both families like steeped in fictional stories. Right. You have Fanny and Alexander's family steeped in fictional stories because they are a family of actors and of theater. And you have the Bishop's family steeped in a very specific fictional story. Right. The theaters, actors embracing the fiction Right, the, the beautiful ways you can color the world and reality. Knowing that they are fictional. Embracing the freedom of fiction and of stories. And then you have the counter side to that. Where you have the church using their fictional book as a way to justify abuse. As a way to justify hate. And to control people. One embraces fiction and story to provide freedom to live many different many different lives to exist in many different lives as you act and and live out these fantasies on stage and the other one uses it for the most evil purposes right imagination and story so powerful and can be used in such different ways even when it's not for religious reasons it can be scary. Horror movies, the horror genre can be scary. But at least it's in an enjoyable way. It's it's in a way where you are stepping into the scary reality knowingly on purpose and you know that it will end. Right? The very temporary way it can be used. Right? There's always another story. You can always go into another story. Right? You aren't stuck worshiping and having to lie to yourself that there is only one true story like the being locked in the prison of existing only within one fictional story as the bishop was locked in and a prison prisoner himself the warden of the story of the bible versus the freedom that you have in the theater as actors being able to exist in any story you want, any story that has ever been created 
Or you can even create your own, as Alexander had in this movie. Right? And within this movie, within this film, there are many different stories. But none of the stories are as evil as the story of the bishop, or when they were dealing with the bishop. That was the most evil story. Um, and I love this movie. I love the idea of stories and fiction and how it can at one point be freedom, but if you lock yourself into believing in a specific fictional story, you could be living in absolute hell. Or you could be forcing other people to exist in a hell because you are controlling them and forcing them to exist in the one story that you pretend to be true. Love it. I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Ray Taylor Show. I do hope you enjoyed my thoughts on Alex Fanny and Alexander. <laughs> Fanny and Alexander is the name of the movie and also the name of the, the miniseries, which is both available on Criterion. Don't forget to tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for more movie and TV show reviews. And join the conversation by leaving a comment or rating on your favorite podcast platform or over on youtube.com slash inspired disorder where every episode is available in video format until next time enjoy the show enjoy your story subscribe to the ray taylor show on youtube and everywhere podcasts are found binge the full week ad free over at inspireddisorder.com slash plus purchase ray taylor show merch over at inspireddisorder.com have a wonderful day everybody peace Ouch! Today is the day where you wake up and you realize that everything that you've been dreaming about, everything that you've been wanting, every goal and wish and hope that you've ever had can become real. Dreams can come true. What you manifest in your mind, you can bring to reality.